The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. I um, spoke on this Sunday, had spoken on Jesus with the woman at the well, and commented how Jesus is very invasive about our sin. He loves us so much that he's very invasive about our sin. And this message followed that message, and so I thought maybe that was the Lord's desire that I speak that message. Now, that's dangerous for all of you because it's a repeat, and any time somebody preaches a repeat, it just keeps expanding. So uh, it's a good thing there's communion this morning, which is great to celebrate that with you all, but that does limit my time as well. So if people start fading... Um, I'll I'll, I'll cut it short. We're speaking this morning about temptation from 2 Samuel 13. If you'd like to turn there, you can. It's quite a dreadful story in the Bible, but the one thing that's unique about it is it's one of the only places in Scripture where we have this framework of interaction between two people. So it's a very unique place in Scripture. We all struggle with temptation. Temptation can come in little ways and in big ways. Little ways for me, for example, when I come from China and land, my, one of my first desires is to get to 7-Eleven where they have cold chocolate milk. And uh, so I always gain a few kilos in Thailand. We don't have cold chocolate milk. You don't know how privileged you are to have a 7-Eleven. My wife asked me um, last night, which I should introduce my wife. About a year ago, I was married, and my wife is in the back there. Miriam, could you stand up? Here's my wife. And... Uh, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary um, about a week ago, which is great. And we have the privilege of going on vacation to the same resort where we got married um, about a week from now, two weeks from now. Where was I? So, yeah, walking into 7-Eleven, I just want to grab some chocolate milk and take it back to my hotel room with me. It's just so nice to have. Temptations can come in bigger ways as well, you know, ways we don't really want to talk about, um, such as how do I find a way to get an iPhone 4 without paying for it? That's probably a big one that some of us have wrestled with. Um, of course, I make light of that, but there are bigger ones, and you all know them. This message isn't geared towards you if you're struggling with temptation. It's geared towards you who might have an opportunity to help someone who is. Now, several reasons for that. One, because that's what the passage really talks to us about. And secondly, because if I were to say I'm talking to you and how do you get yourself out of a position of temptation, one, you can't be trusted because when you're in temptation, you're pretty delusional. And we'll get to that um, in the passage. And secondly, you would probably think that's not for me and uh, you might start playing with some cool iPhone app um, on your iPhone. I have a bit of an obsession with the iPhone 4. I don't have one. I have a poor man's iPhone 4. But anyways... Maybe with any luck, I'll get around to my message, and um, you can all have lunch today. Second Samuel 13. Again, a bit of an awkward section in Scripture, but the unique thing about it is you find someone who confronts another person with temptation before sin has happened. We have several occurrences in Scripture where people confront someone after they have sinned, and, and that's dealt with. We've got church discipline in uh, Matthew 17, I think. I don't know. Tim will know. I should know. And we've got lots of cases in Scripture where people deal with people who've already sinned. But here we have a very emotional encounter between two people, one desperately trying to get the person out of sin. Now, here, the person was actually attempting to sin against the person 
um, who is challenging them. That not, that's not often our case. But you will encounter people who are struggling with temptation, and you'll need to face them. We're going to try to find um, some wisdom in this passage today. Let's pray, and then we'll read the passage. Father, we thank you that you are so gracious to us, and you are so kind. And you put up with the times when we wrestle with temptation and doubt your goodness and, and try to find a way to get what we want. Father, thank you that you're kind to us in those times. And you bring people who would rescue us. You bring your Holy Spirit who would rescue us. Father, I pray that we would learn something this morning where we might help a brother or a sister who's struggling with some temptation and that we might um, rescue them. We might rescue the perishing. We might grant them your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll read the passage again, Second Samuel verses 1 to 13. We'll touch on verse 14. Um, but we'll mainly read 2 Samuel um, chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar, and Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin, and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill, and when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat, and Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get, mid- get rid of my reproach? And as for you, will you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Now, again, quite an awkward passage. And um, sometimes I, I feel, well, last time and this time, I sometimes feel bad for my wife that her husband's up there preaching and he's preaching on such a passage. But let's, let's see what kind of wisdom. We're mainly going to focus on verses 12 and 13, where Tamar directly challenges, and we're going to get six appeals she makes, six appeals to someone in temptation that we can also use with anybody in temptation. Six appeals. But before we do that, I want to give us a bit of a framework for temptation so that we, don't, we know exactly what we're talking about. Temptation rather than sin, and what does it mean? You oftentimes hear people who don't quite know the difference between the two. Someone will say, oh, I've really been struggling with something. 
you know, and really what they mean, I've been caving in full out and I'm in disobedience to something. But we kind of confuse the lines between temptation and sin. And we're not super clear in our own lives what the difference is. Temptation and its entertainment, when you're pondering in your mind, how can I get what I want, is in direct opposition to satisfaction in God. Anytime you toy with the temptation, you are saying, God is not enough. I need more. So you're in direct opposition to God immediately when you're wrestling with the temptation. Lest you think, oh, everybody's tempted. It's okay. I haven't sinned yet. Just remember, temptation still is important. It's a big deal. You need to realize who's tempting me, myself or the devil. A lot of times we want to say the devil's tempting me. Or um, One cl- easy way to distinguish the two is, does the thing you're being tempted with benefit you? Or do you, in your imagination, think it benefits you? If glancing at someone else's paper during a test does that benefit you? Well, that temptation's probably from you. In fact, if we're honest, most of our temptations are, come from our flesh. We don't need much help. And so we have to be honest about where's that temptation coming from, lest we get proud about, you know, the devil singles you out as the most important, important person on the planet to attack. Uh, most likely we're not, if we're, if we're willing to be honest. We, we tempt ourselves. We, we don't need a lot of help. How does the scripture see temptation? Is it just you and Jesus, or is it the community that's there to help you when you're in temptation? The scripture clearly makes it, makes it very clear that it's the whole community is involved in this. We don't have time to go into that. That's not our purpose this morning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says you cannot separate sanctification from the community of God. It's impossible. In our Western cultures, I am an American. I speak mainly for myself and my, my country. Um, we focus a lot on the individual's relationship with Jesus and we ignore the community and the requirements of that community. All around us, we observe the, the interactions of ecosystems, the way that things work together. The same must be true of our body um, as a fellowship. We must work and interact together, both to, to help each other struggle through temptation. Temptation itself is dangerous. It is dangerous. Do you know that in the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't say, deliver us from sin, deliver us from temptation, right? Deliver us from evil. Pray that you wouldn't enter into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Temptation is a big deal. It's quite important. It it attacks us all the time. Jesus in the garden said too, in the garden of Gethsemane, said, pray that you wouldn't enter into what? Temptation. Temptation's a rough spot. We'll get back to that scene at the end of um, the message today. We know that Jesus himself suffered in what he was tempted. Jesus did not sin, but Jesus was tempted and it was suffering for him. So, so temptation is a big deal when you're wrestling with this. Temptation also is not a measure of your sanctification. If you're struggling with temptation, it's not an indicator that you're not walking towards God. We have this sort of view that there's um, the enemy over here, evil over here, and God over here. And if I'm walking towards God, then I'm I'm never going to be tempted. I'm really walking towards God. So then if I'm tempted with something, I must be walking towards evil. But it's not quite that way. You see, the, the enemy and our flesh will post itself along our walk to God and constantly provide temptations. So don't look at the temptation you're in or you see somebody else in as a measure of their sanctification. It's not. It happens to all of us. It happened to Jesus. He suffered in that which he was tempted. Okay, so make sure you understand that, that it's not a measure of your growth. So when you go to reprove or challenge a brother or sister in temptation, 
You're not telling them, hey, you're not holy, you're not walking with God. You're just rescuing them along that path. Um, keep that in mind. It's not the same as um, church discipline, which comes after sin. So again, we want to separate that as well. It's actually much more hopeful than that. You're really rescuing someone before they've taken that step. That's the framework we're in today. What is our tendency in temptation? The first 11 verses here also is a good model for us of what is our tendency in temptation. When we face a temptation, how do we how does that go for us? I'm not talking about the super quick temptations um, that just kind of come and go like that. I'm talking about something that somebody's mulling over for a long time, something you're, you're really wrestling with. You kind of know that it's not right, but you're, you're still kind of wondering about this thing. Step one, which, which we do, is we get obsessed with it. It begins to be something that we think about a lot. You know, when we're walking up the stairs, when we're, we're in a place where um, nobody else is around. It's another indicator right there. Nobody else is around. You're thinking about this thing. It begins to be an obsession, and that was the case for Amnon as well. He was very obsessed um, with his sister. We think we need something, and, and along that same line is we think somebody else doesn't need it. Because oftentimes when we get something, we take it from somebody else. So we're both convinced of our, our need over somebody else's need. That's, that's always involved there. Um, there was a, a lost and found table at the church in Kunming where I go, and there was a Starbucks cup that sat on that lost and found table for a while. And I wanted it. I really wanted it. That's some minor temptation, but every Sunday I would go back to church thinking it's going to be there. And it was for several weeks. That Starbucks cup, nice mug, was sitting there on the lost and found table. Nobody wanted it. You know all the turnover, probably some short-term person bopped in with their, with their you know, Mac, Mac computer and they left it there, you know, because um, a Starbucks cup is an accessory to a Mac computer. They should just sell them on the website, right? Why don't we just go ahead and partner together? So there it was, and I, it wasn't mine. But I thought, who's going to know? Who's going to know that that Starbucks cup isn't mine? And so then they're going to bundle it all up and donate it to someone who's just going to recycle that piece of plastic for nothing. I value that cup. You know, I deserve that cup. Well, I didn't take it. Praise the Lord that, um, that uh, there were too many people watching, actually. Um, no indication of my own holiness. And, uh, and then after I spoke on temptation, somebody who had bundled that stuff up to throw it away took it out and gave it to me. So um, the Lord is very kind uh, in, in the end here. I was obsessed. Then we get, we get advice. And um, we get advice. And oftentimes we get far too much advice from who? from ourselves, okay? You should not be taking advice from yourself when you're toying t with temptation. That's the worst person. And yet we think, with enough analysis, we can sort this thing out. We can find a way to, to justify this thing. That's, that's, a, that's a bad deal. But then you get advice from other people. You can always find somebody who will give you the advice you want. I lived for three years with a Chinese roommate. I'm Chinese, a young Chinese guy, had a great friendship, tremendous time, and then I upgraded and got married, which was a blessing, and um, I'm still in touch with my, my friend, he's a very, very good friend to me, and he is um, toying with a relationship with a non-Christian Chinese girl, very non-Christian girl, and he said to me, he said, um, I talked to a guy at my church, and he said, just go for it, and I thought, go for it, someone in your church, well, there's always somebody who's willing to give you the advice you want. Okay, so be careful with that. Jonadab was a very crafty man, a very shrewd man. The um, contemporary English version translated it as a man who knew how to get what he wanted. 
Now, in our Western culture, we value that. Someone, you can get what you want. You're a self-made man. Stay away from people who can get what they want. Okay, that's a da- those are dangerous people to get advice from. But you always be able to find someone you can get advice from. Um, you're not probably going to go to your mom or dad um, because we don't want that kind of advice. It's a bit risky. Um, but we'll go to other people. And so did, um, so did Amnon. We get going alone. That's another very dangerous thing. We get going alone when we're in temptation. And that, once you start going somewhere alone, you're in trouble. And that's just, that's just the, the course of things in, in temptation. It just goes that way. You get going alone. You decide, I'm going to sin. And very, very rarely do you say to all your buddies, hey, let's go sin together. No, no, no. You get going alone. So watch out when you get going alone. The scripture says in Proverbs 18.1, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. Proverbs 18.1. So that's kind of our tendency in temptation. Now let's take a closer look at these two verses. Since getting married, um, I've learned a lot of wisdom um, from my wife. And someone told me before I got married, never discredit the insight that your wife might have into a particular situation. So we're going to hear from a woman this morning. Amazing words of wisdom. I've read through this passage in Scripture tons of times. One, sometimes you kind of want to get over quick because it's uncomfortable. But I've never seen the wisdom that this woman um, presents to us. From her very first word, we're going to look at six appeals that she makes. And the first one is not one of the appeals. It's just plain good sense. Her first word to her brother is something we don't do very often today. Her first word, if I can find my place here, she says, no. No. Do not. What do we do today? Well, let's talk about it. What are your feelings? Are there any cultural implications here? You know? No. No. Cut it out. There was this video clip some time ago. Um, I don't know if some of you have seen it. I saw it at a training a long time ago where there's a psychologist and a woman comes in and she says, I'm really struggling with this fear that I'm going to get buried alive. And the psychologist says, stop it. She goes, stop what? Stop thinking about it. And, uh, and, and she was all upset and mad because she'd paid for this expensive, you know, $70 an hour to see a counselor. And he said, stop it. It's actually good advice. So she says to her brother, no. And when you're dealing with someone in temptation... Now, this was a very emotionally charged moment. This was bigger than most of us will face. You're probably not going to face someone who's trying to destroy you, and you have to have the courage to challenge them back. Look at the courage of this lady. It's amazing. She's challenging her, challenging her brother, right in the middle of this incredible event. And notice, too, another thing here. Women in that culture compared to men, a son of the king, Amnon, was who? He was destined to be the king. He was the number one son. Who was she? Nobody. Right? She was a sister of another brother. Nobody. And yet she stood up to him and challenged him. If you think to yourself, I know that my leader, my, my pastor, is struggling with some temptation, but he's here and I'm here, I can't do this. Look at the great difference in place in society that these two people had. And Tamar just says it just like it is. Um, I need a glass of water. I'm sorry. I had a... Thank you. Fantastic. The seal was already broken, but that's okay. Thanks so much. That's great. I had asked my wife to go down and get me a cup, and she did, but then I I came up here much faster than I thought I was going to, so she's faithfully back there with a cup of water. She can go ahead and enjoy that now. Uh, 
Thank you so much. So she says no. Again, do we have relationships like that? Do you know your brothers and sisters that you can just flat out tell them no? You can tell a superior no. Um, and if you're not, if you don't know anybody in that situation, I know some of you in this room, and I know that you, no, not that you're struggling with temptation, but that you're supervisors of lots of people, right? And so you've got lots of interactions. Do you have interactions that are close enough where you can just go to somebody and say, no, do not? Okay, that's a very important thing. Now, her first appeal, there's six appeals in this passage. 1312a, um, I've, I've called it. Her first appeal is to brotherhood, an appeal to brotherhood. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. So she appeals to her relationship with him. And you also are all connected as brothers and sisters in Christ, and you can appeal to that relationship. In Christ, it's a very real relationship. And she appealed to him as her brother. Everyone that we interact with in this kind of situation is or could be our brother or sister in Christ. Um... And only those close to us actually know about our, our, our real temptations. You're not going to share them with a lot of people, right? And a lot of people aren't going to have the insight to know that you're really buried um, in some kind of temptation. The next thing she does is an appeal to the community moral. In our very independent, um, me and Jesus sort of mentality to church, there isn't much of a community moral standard. In those days, there really was. There was a community. Now, the interesting thing about this, the way that we challenge others is when they're struggling with something and you know about it, you can directly ask them, would you do this thing in CCF on Sunday morning in the family? You appeal to that standard. And if someone says, no, I'd be horrified to do that, well, then that's the community that that protects us, that can be a real protection to us. So we can appeal to the community. All these people know you. This thing isn't done in Israel. It's an appeal to the community moral standard. And there is. God has a standard for all of us. It's not the standard that you've discerned in your quiet time. God has a standard for all of us. And that's a wonderful protection for us. The next appeal she makes is an appeal. um, Let me back up there to appeal to the community moral. People in temptation are completely blind. They are deluded. They are infatuated with this thing. They cannot see clearly. They cannot think. You've got to realize that. I have a friend who's been struggling for a long time um, with an internet problem, and I won't say any more, but he's got himself so convinced that he's actually helping other people by finding ways to crack his filter and then reporting them back to the company. Absolutely nuts. Could you do that in church? Could you do that among the community of God? No. It's nuts, but people are really nuts when they're in temptation. And you've got to play hardball when you're dealing with people in temptation. The third appeal is an appeal to their blindness. We've already talked about this a few times. People are absolutely, completely out of it when they're struggling with a temptation. One of the temptations that a lot of us um, will struggle with, maybe have struggled with, and I'm not saying anything about those who are leaving or going back to their home country, but is that constant, you know, should I just go back, you know? Um, I deserve Taco Bell. You know, I, I really, that's really important. Um, is it really? So you've got to shake people a little bit and say, you know, you were called here, right? That was something real for you. And again, I'm not saying anything about those who have left or whatever, but it's something that a lot of us will struggle with and we can come into each other's life and appeal to really, what are, you know, is it really that much better? Um, someone shared a picture with me a while back of, 
It was a picture that hangs in their living room of a cow in this beautiful pasture. And uh, there's a barbed wire fence and he's got a head right through the fence there eating grass on the other side. And that's sort of, that's what we do. We approach this very dangerous thing, you know, because we've got to have what's over there rather than um, what is right here. And she says to her brother here, just to know this is still coming from the scripture, not just my, my mind, um, do not do this disgraceful thing. She just points it out. This is disgraceful. This is stupendous. It's horrible. And you've got to shake people. You've got to remind them of the horrible thing that they're considering. And it's a real safety net for them. Because in their blindness, they're evaluating two questions. These are the two questions that you're going to evaluate and why we have to appeal to people's blindness. How much damage will it do? You think, in your temptation, you can make an evaluation of how much this is going to hurt, right? I can take a little bit. That's not going to hurt anybody. Okay, so they're evaluating that temptation. And you can evaluate that. You know, come into their blindness and say, no, no, you're wrong about that estimate. It's this big. It's not this big. It's this big. Okay, how much damage is it going to do? The second thing in their blindness that they're prone to do is, will I get caught? Will I get caught? The answer is yes. God promises that all things will be brought to light. I was teaching Sunday school a while back, and we were doing a demonstration about sin, and we took a Coke, glass of Coke, and you take a button, and you throw the button in the Coke, and it sinks. It looks like nothing's there. But then what happens? The bubbles gather around the thing, and boom, it pops to the surface. You will get caught. You will not get away with it. And you've got to remind people of that. They're struggling with that question. How much damage will it do? Will I get caught? These are people who are dressing in the dark. You've all seen the result of that, right? Um, I get out of bed quite a bit earlier than my wife, and so sometimes I've got to pick clothes out in the dark bedroom, and I've got to get dressed. It doesn't always go so well on the street in the light. And so these people are getting dressed in the dark, and you've got to shine some light in there and say, hey, that doesn't go together. That doesn't work. Okay? It's quite a big struggle. And the scripture says that, that we should pray for each other, exhort one another, that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is dreadfully deceitful. You think that you can go one-on-one with your flesh, you'll never, you won't have a chance. And um, we need to shake people from that. Another appeal she makes in the beginning of verse 13 is an appeal to the damage that can be done to others. As for me, where could I get rid of my reproach? A lot of damage is done to others when we sin. Okay? A lot of damage is done to others when we sin. Um, As a teacher, you oftentimes, often, you hope not so often, but sometimes you catch students cheating. Then the question is, who was cheating? Were you offering your paper a little bit to your buddy to see it? Sin affects other people. And you've got to open people's eyes and appeal to the damage that's going to be done. As a teacher at Grace International School, we saw families come and go and go quite quickly sometimes. And I often wondered, where was anybody around them telling them what damage was going to be done? Why didn't they see you're destroying your family? What are you doing? We must appeal to the damage and the shame that we bring on others. It's not just you. We must appeal then in the next thing she appeals to, and I have no idea when I started or how much time I've been going. How are we doing? What's that? 15 minutes. Great. No problem. We'll we'll be ahead of schedule. Another thing we appeal to is their own loss. Now, I I, I remind you, these two verses, unique place in Scripture, 
unbelievable wisdom, I think, coming, coming from Tamar. She appeals first to the damage done to others. Then she appeals to the damage done to the person themselves. Because the person themselves in temptation might think, I can handle it. I don't care. Who am I? It doesn't matter. I'll take this. Appeal to the damage done to others first. That's who they're responsible to. And then she appeals to his own loss in, in uh, the middle of verse 13. She says, and as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. You're going to look like an idiot. You will. And if you don't remind people of that, they think they can just skate right through this sin that they're toying with. No chance. It just, it never comes out looking very good. You know, you cannot maintain your dignity with your brothers and sisters in Christ when you've committed some horrible sin. You cannot. Now, God, there's forgiveness and there's grace and, and we're restored and thank, we thank the Lord Jesus for that very much. But at the same time, we have to appeal to the damage that's going to be done to them. And remind yourself, you're here for their good. She is about to be destroyed here. Her life is about to be over. If she is violated, she will never get married. She will never have a family. She's done. You have to appreciate the weight, and yet she has the, wi- the wisdom or the relationship with God and His Holy Spirit. I don't know, to speak this sort of wisdom. She appeals to His, to His good. Look, I'm trying to help you here. You know, She appeals, you're going to look really stupid. Don't do this to yourself. And so we appeal to them for their good. We have to be there for their good. We're like, there's an old cartoon about Snoopy and Lucy, and Lucy keeps putting the football down on the ground. Maybe you have to be old to remember that cartoon. And it just kind of ran every year. He always had a new version of that. And Lucy puts the football down on the ground and says, come on, kick it. You know, it's fall. It's football time. And, and, and Snoopy's like, no, you're, you're going to take that football away from me, and I'm going to land on my back again. Uh, she just keeps talking to him, and, um, and he keeps talking to her. That's the danger. Don't keep talking. Get out of there. Run. He should have been running for the end zone the other direction. Instead, he's like, okay, Lucy, you know, you've never told me the truth before. And the enemy never has, by the way. He's never come through on any promise he ever made to you. And he goes for it, and he kicks that thing. And sure enough, she takes it out last minute, flips over, and lands on his back, breathless. And um, we've got to appeal to people. You're not going to come out winning here. You're going to lose. Flat out, you're going to lose. No, don't do it. Cut it out. There's no easy way out. There's no... There's nothing but no. And we have to keep that in mind. James 1 makes it super clear that this, the, the road is this. You, you lust after something, temptation. You sin, and then what? Death. It, it, it's just a simple equation. God's math is quite simple. More, more complex than ours probably, but at the same time, lust, sin, death. You've got to show people that. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. Uh, there's no winning here for you. Uh, we don't have to be nice or cultural or have a degree in counseling um, when it's time to confront somebody. And I'm not encouraging. Tim might be over there thinking, oh, no, we're going to have a witch hunt in my church. You know, Everybody's going to be going after each other. You know? and, no, I'm not talking about that. You, you, know, you really know it was very clear this was a situation of temptation. It wasn't just um, guesswork. Um, so we know the equation is very clear, and that's how it ended for Amnon as well. You know, God's word is true. It ended for Amnon very badly. And um, we'll get to that at the end. It leads to death. The last thing we can appeal to, or I'm not sure if these all have to go in this order particularly, I do think that we appeal to God's people before we appeal to the individual because they might actually value God's people more than they value themselves in a position of temptation. We appeal to God's provision. Look at this wisdom with me. This is just remarkable. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. 
Now, she was sacrificing her dignity, maybe all of her dreams here, but she said, go to the king. He's not going to withhold, withhold any good thing from you. He won't withhold me from you. And when we go to people struggling with temptation, they're struggling with one thing. I need this, and God's not giving it to me. That's really, that's it. That's, you, know, you can complicate it. You can, you can write bigger pictures. I need this. I want this. God's not giving it to me. I'm going for it. God just forgot. It kind of fell off his to-do list, and he really meant for me to have this thing, but I'm just going to go get it. That's, that's all you're struggling with. She says, appeal to the king. We can really challenge people in the moment of temptation. Go to God. You know, Psalm 84.11 says, He will not withhold any good thing from you. Nothing. And you're going to have to hold people and shake them and say, God's not going to rip you off. I have a good friend up in Kunming that I meet with every Tuesday. There's four of us that meet for a men's group. And him and his fiancée were debating, should they buy a house before they you know, get married? They're not going to live together. I mean that. But they just thought maybe it would be a good investment. There's a house. And just kept reminding them, God's not going to rip you off. You don't have to be in a hurry. And same way in temptation, if you think, well, you know, God's going to provide the support next year for me to buy a legal copy of Windows, so I'm going to go down to the computer plaza and buy a fake copy of Windows. I know I'm stepping on some toes there. I don't mind. Um, I'm gonna, God's going to provide that for me, so I'm just going to go buy that um, illegal copy of Windows or, or whatever you've, you've chosen to call those copies of Windows. Um, a friend of mine in, in Kunming, he goes, I have a genuine copy of Windows. I think about that, a genuine copy. Yeah, it's a genuine copy, right? So you've got to remind people, God's not going to rip you off ever. You never have to give in to temptation because you think God's not going to give you something. You think it's not God's timing. He means this for me. I better go. I'm going to help God out, right? One less thing for his angels to do. Angels can have a Starbucks and um, with my cup, hopefully not. And um, God's not going to rip you off. So we appeal to God's provision. That's the last appeal that you can make to someone struggling in temptation. It's a good thing there's a big clock in the back of the room. Good for all of you. Um, In conclusion, do you have any hope in your temptation? Do you have any hope? And actually very little for you if you're in temptation. Your hope is everybody else in this room. It's your brothers and sisters. That's your hope in temptation. And you're theirs. You're their hope in temptation. And you have to realize that. When you're struggling with temptation, you are clueless. You do not have a chance. And you need people to come into your life. Do you have people? Are you connected with people? Do people really know you? Are there thoughts that you're wrestling with that you think if the person sitting next to me knew, they would be horrified? You've got to get somebody who knows you enough that can confront you in temptation and deal with you on that. You've got to have people. That's your only hope. It's not you. You don't have a chance. You're going to lose um, on your own. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, I'll send you another comforter. And then in Hebrews 3, 13, which we alluded to already, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know that the very same word, one's a noun, one's a verb, but same word that's used for the Holy Spirit is used for exhorting one another? And to me that says we have to be, God calls us to be that exhorter, encourager in other people's lives. It's the same word as for the Holy Spirit. And if you say to yourself, I know my brother's struggling with temptation, I'm going to pray for him. That the Holy Spirit comes, it's the same word. I think that because you know about it, the Holy Spirit's already challenged you. Deal with it. Talk to each other. 
Just think about all the tragedies that we could spare if we were in each other's lives, as the Holy Spirit is in each other's lives. And again, I, just one more time, I'm not encouraging an all-out um, hunt for those in temptation. But really, what a joy it is to know that my brother's got my back. And when I'm blind, he'll guide me and he'll help me through. We may be someone else's way of escape. And you've got to think about that. Be encouraged this morning. You might be somebody else's way of escape. Even Jesus, in his greatest hour, in his darkest hour, asked for what? For prayer. For people to be with him in his hour of temptation. And if Jesus was humble enough to ask for help, how much more do we need to ask for help? Most of us don't have that kind of maturity. Most of us you know, are not going to go to a brother and say, I'm struggling with this thing. We're terrified. They might say, what are you, an idiot? That's horrible. So we're not going to. So you are going to have to actively do that. Jesus, in his wisdom, asked for help. Most of us don't have that kind of maturity. We're going to have to be actively um, going after each other, helping each other in our hours of temptation. I have um, 1 Corinthians 10.13 down here on my um, notes. And to be honest with you, I've forgotten why it's there. But maybe it was there for a reason. Um, Let's just see in case. um, No temptation has overtaken you. Maybe some of you already knew that. But such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. And oftentimes we apply that verse as me and Jesus, right? God's going to provide a way. I'm headed down this road that I know is wrong, but I'm headed down alone. Well, that way of escape comes from us. It's our community. It's our protection for each other. Let's make sure that we're connected to people in that fashion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are so kind to come alongside us, to send the Holy Spirit as our comforter. We thank you that from the beginning you've put us in a community that you stress the body of Christ that works together to, to heal itself, to protect itself from danger. God, I pray that today that we would be challenged to be the eyes and the ears and the hands and the feet for each other when that one particular part of the body is not doing what it ought to be doing. Help us to be there for each other, God. And for those of us who are struggling with something, Father, that we would have the courage of Jesus Christ to ask for help for people to pray with us in our hour of temptation. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.